It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. I was connected with Wendy Appel in a roundabout way. My sister, Lois Gillette, walks with her friend Dorcas Williams, whose daughter's mother-in-law is Wendy. Thank you, Lois and Dorcas, for talking about A Quilter's Life and being able to connect me with Wendy. Wendy and I found out we had something else in common. Towards the beginning of our conversation, we mentioned Practical Bible Training School, which is now Davis College. Wendy, I'm so glad you get to join me on A Quilter's Life. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Great. Tell me about where you were born and raised. I was born and raised in Binghamton, New York. Lived in that city, smaller city. My entire growing up years, we moved around a lot within the city. It's pretty unique. In the 70s and 80s, we had like six public elementary schools and two junior highs and two high schools. And even with all our moves, stayed on the same side of town. So was able to go to the same school and have the same group of kids all the way through kindergarten to 12th grade. Wow, that is so neat. Yeah, the uh, junior high building I went to, well, my first year it was junior high. My second year it was a middle school. But my grandmother and a bunch of my aunts and uncles actually went to the same building. (laughs) Wow. I hear these families that get to be in the same town for some generations. And I just think that is so neat. Yep. Both my mom's and my dad's, they lived on different sides of the city and moved in different circles. But a lot of my family very big family is still there. Of course, I'm not. I got married when I was 20 and moved away. So, so much has changed, but there's still quite a bit of family there. And even the schools, like the one I was saying, the junior high, the building doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> so uh, future generations didn't get to go there, but there's still quite a bit of family in that area. I wanted to interject here when you mentioned Binghamton. So are you familiar with Davis College? I am a graduate of Practical Bible Training School. My uncle was president there. (gasps) Who's that? Kenneth Robb. Oh, before my time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I had intended to go away to college, but financially it just didn't work out. And so at the last minute, I ended up going to Practical because I could live at home. It's funny, growing up there, I didn't really know much about that college, but as a kid, our church had a WANA program and we used to have a game time and they would, at the end of the year, have an Olympics and the competitions were held in the gym over there. That was my only exposure to that school. Really? (laughs) Yeah, before I attended. (laughs) And my parents met there too. I met my husband there. Picked him out on the first day of registration. (laughs) It took me a little while to convince him, but I had him picked out on that first day. (laughs) How fun. 
Let's jump back to your childhood for a minute here. Do you have a special childhood memory? Oh boy, I was a city kid. I lived there in the city. A small city, but a city nonetheless. You know, your neighbors are right there. But I did spend my weekends out in the country, out in West Windsor. My dad lived out there with my grandmother. And so I got to spend all my weekends out there. Just me and a couple of old people. (laughs) (laughs) But my grandmother and my great aunt sewed all of their clothing. Well, my grandmother had a few store-bought dresses. But my great aunt, I don't think she had any. My grandmother and my great aunt, her baby sister, the two of them raised my grandmother's nine children. And my great aunt never married. So in their older years, it was the two of them. They had finally moved out of the city and bought a house out there in West Windsor, a very tiny house. And (laughs) I got to spend my weekends out there. And so I saw all the fruits of their sewing, but they never sewed while I was there, mostly because (laughs) the sewing machine was also the TV cabinet. And so things had to get moved around with four of us in the house instead of their usual three. It was just too crowded to sew while I was there. But I saw all the things that they had made. And my grandma's specialty was in the family, we called them nylon nets. It was just that nylon fabric you can get for, well, now it's like 49 cents a yard or something. I don't know. And they would cut like a six inch strip maybe of multiple layers and run a stitch down the middle and cinch it up and then cut through the layers. And they were these little poof ball scrubbies that everyone in the family used to wash their dishes with. But they never taught me how to make them. Now we can buy those type of things at the Amish markets, but not the same. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever try to figure it out? I did. Aunt Rachel had given me their last spool of this thick nylon thread and told me how to do it. But I just couldn't get it right. Maybe now I could if I remembered how many layers and all that. I suppose I probably could. I have so many projects going on that it's just not a priority. (laughs) (laughs) But that same great aunt and my grandmother passed away within a few years of each other. And my uncle, who had the lovely job of cleaning out their house, I had asked for some of their clothing because it was all cotton clothing. So he filled a couple garbage bags and sent them to me. And I cut them apart and I made a bow tie quilt, a 3D where the center pops, a bow tie quilt out of their clothing. Just had a pattern for that one block when I was very new to quilting. And so it's a little bit wonky. Didn't know about squaring things up and pinning seams, (laughs) but it looks nice. And I have a piano key border on it. I had it on a guest bed for a little while because I just just made it till I felt like quitting. So it fit on my double-sized guest bed sort of, but we just redid a guest room and now I have it hanging in there. And I have one of those pin cushions that my great aunt made it's using those little pint cardboard milk servers and it looks like a chair she crocheted it so I have that so that's going to go in on the shelf and I'm going to print a picture of them 
where they're wearing one of those pieces of clothing that are in the quilt. So that'll be my nice little memory thing. Wow. Isn't it yeah, fun to remember our ancestors that way? Yeah, it's pretty special to me because, you know, they helped raise me. I was there each weekend and I'm at the tail end of their grandchildren. My cousins, we range from, oh boy, well, right now we range from like mid 40 to 70 something. (laughs) There's a huge range of us and I was at the tail end of that. There's six or so younger than me and they think I was the favorite because, well, I lived with them, so. (laughs) Oh, just go with it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So after graduating from practical, where did you go from there? I had multiple jobs around town since I was 16. Multiple jobs before that, but the real ones on the book since 16. And had to be fairly responsible at home. My paycheck didn't just pay my college bill. It bought groceries and paid the phone bill and did some other things. But I got engaged (laughs) the night before graduation. So let's see. I was working at a local flower shop at that point. And then I switched to one of the local grocery stores for the summer. I had one tiny, well, it seems tiny at this point, a student loan. Then it seemed rather large. It was $750. (laughs) But now it's tiny in comparison. But I had the summer to get that paid off. Grant and I got married in October, right after graduation. And he had already moved out a little west of Binghamton and was working in a church with their youth group and their Christian school. And so when we got married in October, I joined him out there and took a few side jobs. But it was hard. We were in the country and we had one car. And so trying to get to two different jobs. And mostly I was just there to take care of him and fill in. If a teacher called in, (laughs) I got to go substitute for the day because they called him to report it. So we did that for only a year. And then we had moved on. He decided he was going to go back to school because at that time, the college we went to was just a three-year diploma. And now, seriously, he told me when we graduated that that was all he was going to need. Hold on to that thought. (laughs) Because because after that first year, he thought, you know, I should go back to school and get my bachelor's degree. So we moved out to eastern New York, where he's from. He grew up in a little town called Ames, New York. And we lived out at his aunt's farm for a year. And he drove milk truck, saving money to go to college. Well, he was driving milk truck. Again, we just had one car. Well, we kind of wiggled around a little bit and he helped his uncle deliver mail. And I also worked at a bank part-time for a few of those months. And so then we moved south to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, so he could go back to college. And I got a job at a jewelry store in the mall real easily because I had worked at that same jewelry store in the mall in Johnson City when we were in college. 
So even though I was very pregnant, they hired me anyway. (laughs) And so we were in North Carolina for three years. That jewelry store ended up closing just a few weeks before I was due for our first child. So that all worked out well. He did finish his bachelor's degree. And just about the time he was finishing that, the school introduced a new master's program. (laughs) And he said, wow, maybe we should stay for that. (laughs) I'm not sure what happened to that three-year diploma. So we stayed another year and he did this very intensive one-year master's program. However, the day of registration for that, our second child was born. (laughs) So now we have a toddler and a newborn and he's working every evening part-time and he's trying to go to school full-time. It was a challenging time. He ended up cutting back a class each semester. So it took him a few more years to catch those three classes and modules, but he finished it and we moved back to New York and we have been in New York ever since. And I haven't had a job outside of the home since then. Kept me pretty busy. After we moved to New York, we did have a third child. And so they kept me busy. And by circumstances, not by a desire, we ended up homeschooling them from third, fourth grade on. And that was pretty time consuming. I did a very easy on the mom curriculum. The kids survived in spite of it. They all grew up and went off to college and have jobs and two of them are married. So now I say I'm a retired homeschool mom. (laughs) Still full-time wife thing is pretty challenging, but I've been fortunate. We haven't had any fancy jobs, but God has provided for every need we could ever have. And I've been able to stay at home. Nice. I wanted to hear more about you seeing your husband and then having to convince him he was the one. (laughs) Okay. So that summer between high school graduation and college, I worked at a small camp called Bayuka. I earned $35 a week. (laughs) So... I wasn't really going to work out to go to the college I wanted to. And I ended up meeting with the financial aid director at Practical and signing up to go just like a week before school. So I was pretty unsure, didn't know anyone, didn't have any connections, showed up for registration. I was going to be a commuter and a lot of the students lived on campus. God just brought this specific place in line for me. And there was a girl in front of me. Her name was Suzanne. And we started talking. She was going to be a commuter too. She was a couple years older. We talked and built quite a friendship and we're still friends to this day. She was actually my maid of honor in my wedding. But ahead of us in line was this tall, blonde-haired guy. (laughs) And um, I guess I just thought he was really cute. And I set out to find out who he was. Another week, maybe into school, I was walking through the stairwell. And this girl passed by and we stopped and we're like, hey, do we know each other? 
Well, we figured it out about four years, five years before more. We, as junior high campers, went to Bayuka and were in the same cabin. So, of course, we hit off an immediate friendship. She was my best friend. She did pass away seven years ago with breast cancer. But as I spent time with her, she knew this handsome guy that I liked. She actually went to school prior with him. And so that was a great way to <laughs> have an in. Anyway, Grant was his name, and Kim and Suzanne and I all were like a group of friends. And there were some other guys and whatever. So, you know, it's a small school. I don't even know how many students, but we had our small group of friends that we did stuff with. And Everybody knew I liked Grant. For some reason, he says he didn't know that. But he had only intended to come for one year. So we were this great group of friends for a year. And I was pretty crushed at the beginning of the summer when he didn't plan to come back. But I prayed all summer long. I worked at the ice cream store up the road from the college. And all summer long, I prayed, God, if Grant comes back, I know he's the one for me. <laughs> and we made our own hard ice cream up there and we were making apple strudel. And you have to write on the container. By this point, I couldn't write apple anymore. Everything was appel. It was spelled that way. <laughs> and so all the apple strudel was labeled appel strudel. <laughs> Shortly, just days before the soccer team would arrive a week before school, I found out that he was coming back. And so I was pretty excited. So of course, our same friend group, whatever, just picked up where we left off. But there was quite a few new students, new freshman class coming in. And a couple of the girls thought they might like Grant too. Well, all the returning students promptly informed them that, oh no, he's taken which he was not. <laughs> and so they saw the challenge. <laughs> so our second year was pretty interesting. Our same core group friends, but then we each dated different people in our childish 19-year-old ways. So then we were still all friends. We were in the same class and we had different responsibilities that were the same with student government stuff. So then our third year of college came around and our final year and Grant was back early because he played soccer and I thought well you know what this year I probably better do something with the soccer team <laughs> so I was gonna volunteer to help with keeping the books so that I could go to the soccer game the away game so I did and we sat together and we were friends we did as a group spend a lot of time together. I just was so drawn to him. He grew up in a Christian family. I felt like they were the richest people in the world. They had it all figured out. I grew up going to church, but I grew up spending the weekdays with my mom and stepfather and in public school and the weekends with my dad and grandmother and going to church and I knew all the stories, but like, it didn't apply. I didn't 
have it in my daily life. I didn't know how to. So I think that was part of the draw. Oh, I know that was part of the draw. And then spending time with Kim and looking through their yearbooks and hearing the stories of their high school. They went to Christian school and all the things that they did and got to do. And I think it was that third year. Oh, it was. Grant's younger brother came to the college and they were going home one weekend and they said, hey, if you're not working, come home with us. And I only had like a Friday afternoon shift or something. So they waited for me and I said, but are your parents okay with it? Well, they don't know, but they'll be happy. They <laughs> <laughs> grew up in a house of five boys and their mom just loved girls. And so I was a nervous wreck. They like just sprung me on them. But apparently it was normal and okay to just bring home random guests whenever. And so it was not too long after that. It must have been, oh, it was December of our senior year. We finally got to acknowledge to be more than friends. (laughs) So that's why I say it took me all three school years to convince him. So he surprised me. couple weekends before school was out I only had one shift at work I was working at the jewelry store then and he went home for the weekend I was actually quite upset with him because we were graduating in a couple weekends the next one was stuff at school and we had made no plans we hadn't talked to the future he'd been asking a lot of questions what do you think about this and what do you think about that so I was pretty upset with him for going home that weekend and not spending it with me. So a couple weeks later, and it's the last weekend of school, and we have this big banquet we put on. We changed the gym into a beautiful dining facility. We spent the whole day decorating it and putting up lights in a, I think it was tablecloth, the rolls of it. We put up to make a drop ceiling and wires in the whole class. We just worked together and got all this done. And I went home to change and get ready. And when Grant came to pick me up, I noticed he didn't have any corsage for me. But it only registered briefly because I was extremely busy. My two friends, Kim, Suzanne, and I were in charge of most of the decorations. And I needed to get back and put the final touches on. So we get back to the gym and I go in the fridge to get out all the white roses we were putting on the table. And I briefly noticed a pink corsage in there and thought, oh, that would match my dress. (laughs) And so we took care of stuff and Grant wanted to go for a walk. I'm like, I do not have time for this. I have work to do. So we went to my friend and he said, Suzanne, tell Wendy she has to take a walk with me. So... We went for a walk around the side of the building and I was in heels and they were sinking into the dirt. (laughs) And um, I said, oh, let's go this other way. Or maybe he said, let's go this other way. I don't know. So we went around to what was called the knoll and there was a swing set there and we were going to sit there and I saw something on the bench in the distance. I said, oh, somebody's already there. He goes, no, let's just go. So we get over there and there's that corsage from the fridge. And inside of it is a little black box. (laughs) And so right then and there, he proposed. His little brother was hiding around the corner of the gym because he's the one that brought the stuff out for him. 
<laughs> so, yeah, I thought I was pretty busy then. <laughs> so we went back in and got to surprise everybody and show everyone. And so that was our exciting time. How fun. It was. <laughs> Love it. So you were born and raised in New York State and you're back in New York State. Are you close to Binghamton? No, we live out in Western New York now. We're about 45 miles south of Buffalo, out in the country. Wow. He's always had me living in the country. <laughs> I drive through the city now and I'm like, I could never live here. <laughs> it's a three-hour drive into Binghamton. And my mom is still there and sisters and cousins. So I get in there periodically. It's nice to be close enough to be able to visit. Yeah. Not close enough to help my mom with daily things, you know, but close enough that if she's got an appointment or something, you know, she knows ahead of time and wants me to come in for it, I can do that. And that's another joy of not having to have a job. Yeah. I'm available. And now our kids are all three live out of state. They all three live in different states. We've got four grandchildren and I can go visit. Are they all within driving distance though? Yes. The farthest is eight hours. Actually, where our three children live, make a triangle. The boys would be the bottom of the triangle and they're about two hours apart. And Top of them, about a four-hour drive, is their sister. So they thought it would be nice if Dad and I could move within that triangle. If you map it out, you would see it's mostly all forest land. I said, well, what are we going to do, live in a treehouse? Because <laughs> <laughs> that would be all we could afford with no job in the forest land. <laughs> Another neat story, when we lived in Winston-Salem, Another one of my husband's younger brothers had come down there to go to college too. A couple of times I had him come over and play with his nephews so that I could sew. We lived on campus and he had come over to our apartment. Showed up on Sunday nights when we had pizza and milkshakes. He stumbled upon it one night and realized that was a normal. So we saw him a lot of Sunday nights. <laughs> but I had him come over. I was working on... I think it would have been my first quilt. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Didn't have a book, nothing. Bought a bunch of Washington Redskins fabric, cut out these big 10, 12 inch blocks and was going to sew them together. Bought a bright yellow sheet for the back. I don't remember what I put in the middle and I tied it. But because my husband Grant and his younger brother Jed both liked the Washington Redskins, Jed assumed I was making that quilt for Grant. But really, I was making it for him. <laughs> Had him watching his nephews so I could sew a gift for him. He loved it. He still does. Last I knew, he still had it. I had also tried to make a, I guess now it would be called a postage stamp. No, it was bigger. They were like two-inch blocks of a whole bunch of random Christmas fabric. I was going to make it and do a tablecloth, one like my mother-in-law had. Well, I didn't know anything about quilting then. I barely was sewing and 
I sewed all these rows of these things and then tried to sew the rows together, just rows. And it came out so curvy and so wonky. I ripped a little bit of it out and the rest got stuffed away. I think I just threw those pieces away a few years ago. Because what I did not know then was that even though I cut all these squares out the same size, they have stretch and they have get. And when you put them together, you match the seams. You press them in opposite directions and they nest and they go together so nicely when you do it right. <laughs> but I didn't know how to do that then. So that was a couple epic fails. But then when we moved here, I met a, another pastor's wife who was able to host a few of us and teach us some of these techniques. And from then on, I don't know, sewing with other ladies is just such a key to growth and learning. Someone learns a new technique and they want to share it with you. And, and if you have a question about something, chances are somebody in that group's going to know the answer. That same thing, I went to a quilter's retreat and they had a mystery quilt. So I bought the fabric for it and I had been sewing more regularly then. And I was going to do this mystery quilt. And the lady leading it, it was her first time leading one. And so she didn't think to have us square the pieces we were making or to size them up. So we put the inside together and then we put these borders together and it was wall hanging size. Well, mine didn't even look close to matching. It was visions of that nightmare Christmas tablecloth all over again. And one of the other ladies at the retreat said, oh, weren't you working on this mystery quilt? I said, yep, it's in the bag. It's going in the trash. <laughs> she, she said, oh, let me see. And, and so she said, no, you can make it work. And it was probably over an inch off. And so she showed me to pin each of those seams where the rows were going to meet up. And it would ease in. and it would be okay. And so she worked me through the first row and I was like, oh, she's right. And so I finished it and that wall hanging, it's got Apple prints and it's been hanging in my kitchen ever since. Oh, fun. So that is definitely key. Sewing with other people, they can teach you things. Yeah. And what a great <laughs> reminder to have that hanging there. Yes. I have mostly... All my quilts are gifts. Well, if you looked at my house, you wouldn't think so, but really they <laughs> a lot of the gals from our church, they've grown up and moved away and had families, made them baby quilts. I've made all three of our children a quilt for college. I was pretty nervous about the first one. I let him pick out colors and he even wanted to pick out the pattern. And I got nervous. I'm like, Ethan, are you sure you want this? And we had been on college trips with our teens to go view a bunch of colleges. And he's like, Mom, the cool kids have quilts on their beds. <laughs> so I made all three of our kids a quilt for college at graduation. And then I made the two that are married quilts for their wedding. Our daughter said, Mom, you might want to plan now. I want a double wedding ring quilt. Oh, my. I said, well, that would be great, but I need to know colors. <laughs> and of course, she didn't know colors in college. So that was probably my biggest challenge. 
I cheated and used a print for the arcs instead of piecing those. I used like two or three different patterns and none of them were real clear on how to put the rows together. But I finally did it, figured it out. It's on their bed. They love it. (laughs) Our oldest son had gotten a quilt for his wedding. Our middle son isn't married yet. He has a dog, his beloved Aggie. She's a German Shepherd, beautiful dog. And I found a panel of sorts that had this German Shepherd on it with a flag. So I bought it thinking, oh, I'll do something for Luke at some point. Well, he's a police officer now. And I wanted to make him a quilt because the others, his siblings have one. He's not married yet. I'm like, oh, he needs a big quilt for his queen size bed. So I wanted to do something with the dog and the thin blue line. And I had a table runner pattern. It did like a, I don't know, like a ribbon down the side. Mm -hmm. So I ended up designing this quilt to use the dog cut out of that panel using the table runner like times. I mean, this is an oversized queen (laughs) table runner pattern. (laughs) And in between it, I put the blue line and it came out. It's neat. I like it. I do enjoy designing a quilt. All four of our grandchildren have baby quilts. Our two older granddaughters have big girl quilts now for their twin bed. And our latest grandchild, a grandson, they're doing mountain theme in his room. And so I just used the triangles and designed a quilt, putting some other patterns together, a little baby quilt for him. And... One of my favorite house quilts is a scrappy fall print with a wonderfully warm flannel for the back. But I saw this picture in a book, two-inch picture of this scrappy quilt, and I wanted to buy the pattern so I could make it. Well, they didn't sell the pattern. They only sold the kit. I didn't want the kit. I had hordes of my own fall fabric. I did not need to buy more. So we ended up Figuring out a quilt block similar off that little two-inch picture. (laughs) But again, with the group of ladies I quilt with, a couple of us put our heads together and figured out this pattern I wanted to do. And so that's another one of my favorite quilts. I have found, though, that the quilts that I use a pattern and follow the pattern usually go together a whole lot easier than the ones I'm trying to create. Besides quilting, are there other crafts you do or have done? Other sewing crafts. Another little picture in a book. They took the backside of a pair of blue jeans, like the back end with the pockets, and put a bib on it and a ruffle at the bottom and made an apron. So depending on whether I have fabric or some grow grain ribbon and then with the embroidery machine put the person's name under the back pocket so I make those little aprons and hanging towel sets and hot pads and that kind of for a wedding shower gift most of my other hobbies do revolve around sewing absolutely not alterations I despise those (laughs) I would rather build something from scratch than alter it but a lot of little crafty things these little use fat quarters and make a little bag 
with a busted up tape measure in the top. We call them click bags. Like I think there's a pattern out there somewhere for them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And placemats and that kind of thing. But outside of sewing, I enjoy reading. (laughs) And I used to really enjoy card making. And I wanted to do scrapbooks for my kids. That was their goal for graduation, a scrapbook, birth to high school graduation and a quilt. Well, it didn't happen for any of them. They all got their quilts. Our oldest got a scrapbook after he'd been married a few years. The next son who's graduated high school 10 years ago, I'm in the process of his scrapbook. (laughs) It's sitting out on my sewing table going, work on me, work on me. I really do want to finish that this summer. And then I still have our daughter's scrapbook to do. And then I want to get rid of all that stuff because it just weighs on me, you know. When the kids were little, I used to like to do counted cross stitch because, you know, it could just be in a bag. It wasn't a big setup like a machine and your fabric and your cutting board. And I could set it down at any point. So that was something I found to keep my hands busy (laughs) when I wasn't busy with the kids. (laughs) So I did do a little bit of cross stitching then. Fourth grade in public schools in Binghamton, you could pick up a musical instrument and I had started playing the flute and I still play it. I play at church on Sundays and I have for the radio station played in a few of their musicals in their pit and the public high school. I, I think I played in two or three. Our high school here uses community members in their pit orchestra. Well, at least they did before COVID. And depending on the musical they pick. That was new to me. I just learned that I didn't realize pit music is written differently than regular music. It's not like you have to read it differently. It's just, it's not like just a flute part. It's a read one part. And so you're supposed to be able to switch between instruments. Of course, I cannot do that. So there's different people on it. And so then you end up adding and it gets pretty complicated, but it stretched me and I learned a lot and I really enjoy it. Interesting. I had no idea that it would be written different. I mean, it's not like a B flat, still a B flat, but right. but it's just interesting the way it's written. So you can see the other instrument parts. on Right, that. right. If you have the whole section, you know, a lot of directors will reprint it using a program so that you have just your part or like at the radio station, if there's only one flute player, then he would write where flute one is resting, flute two or three might be playing. And so you would add that in so that one person can do it all. It was totally different. I was surprised. It was fun. I learned a new word. It was tacit, which is just another word for rest. (laughs) But yeah, it's been really enjoyable. When did you start playing the flute? In fourth grade in the public school. When I think of school and playing instruments, I think of band. Were you in the band? Oh, yes. I was in the band in elementary school and junior high. Oh, my mercy. In junior high, our band director was the meanest dude. But his wife also worked at the school and she was the French teacher. And I had her for seventh and eighth grade French. And she was the sweetest lady you ever met. It was pretty funny. 
And then I did play in high school in the marching band the first two years. In my 11th grade year, I did band camp and went to the first football game and played. And I ended up quitting right after that. We had two band directors because, see, when I went to high school, they had combined the city schools, the two high schools. So we had two band directors and they couldn't have been more different if, oh, so anyway, yeah, I was a wimp and I quit, but I didn't quit the flute. I still played at home and had music and stuff. I just didn't play in school anymore. I played in college, played with my friend a lot. We actually got to play during graduation, her and I, this really hard piece that the music guy at Practical had written some extra fancy stuff in for me. Her and I played that frequently for special music and had a lot of fun with that. Of course, when I got to play it at graduation from college, I had this sparkly, shiny thing on my left hand that was new. <laughs> and so everybody got to see it. <laughs> As you were explaining some of your quilts, did you tell me about your favorite quilt? I don't think I have a favorite quilt. That one I made out of my grandma and my great aunt's clothes is pretty special. Also, when our oldest son, he started working here when he was 14, and he saved some money, and our local quilt shop was doing a Thangles block of the month. I believe at that point it was like a dollar for the block. You got a few strips of fabric. You had to buy the thangles and, you know, the extra stuff. But for Christmas, my son gave me a gift card from that shop to do that block of the month. And the lady at the shop that filled out the card put in the value, she wrote priceless. (laughs) Because my son was doing that for me. And so that quilt is on my bed. In the winter time, so that Bengals block of the month is pretty special. Then there was another pattern. A couple of the ladies I sew with, we had it. It was called Labyrinth. It's not that the one that's out now. It's big, and it just seemed so overwhelming. We were all too chicken to tackle it. So we took a class at another local quilt shop to do this. Oh, four or five of us did it. I couldn't believe how, well, when you follow the directions, it goes together pretty easy. (laughs) You do have to have this space to set things out to keep the pieces you cut separate. And so I have that labyrinth quilt I made with some camping fabrics with quilt shop fabric. And I had bought when it was on sale at the quilt shop and I ended up having just the right stuff for that. And so I made that and that's on our bed in the summertime. And that's a favorite. And I've also made the center part of it for different baby quilts because it's so much fun. I have quite a few favorite quilts. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned Thangle. Was that the one? Thangles. What what are those? They're paper strips. I want to say almost like paper piecing, but it's not. It's T-H-A-N-G-L-E-S. And they have all sorts of different sizes. I don't know how to explain it. That's the only one I've done with those. Interesting. 
Mm-hmm. My favorite fabric line right now is called Apricot and Ash by Corey Yoder. I think it's put out by Moda. It was put out a couple of years ago, so it's like next to impossible to find right now. But I splurged. I don't ever buy pre-cuts or anything. I never bought a fat quarter bundle in my until that one. <laughs> I really splurged because I just love the line. And so I am working on two different quilts right now with that. One was a free pattern put out by her, and that's going to be a throw for my couch. And then the other one is a pattern I bought, uses a jelly roll, four and three quarter yards of a background. And that's going to go on the guest bed in the room where my grandma's and great aunt's clothes, her that quilt's hanging. So that was my big splurge. I don't really enjoy scrappy quilts. But they're working their way into me. The ladies I quilt with on Thursdays laugh because they know I'm just too finicky. But a lot of the scrap quilt patterns lately have a like a white on white or a muslin background. And to me, that tones it down enough. (laughs) So I really need to use up some fabric. (laughs) I rarely like to do a pattern twice. I like to learn something new. And so with our group of friends, we sewed a star quilt. And there's almost like a cathedral window, but you sew a folded square into a triangle. You sew it into the seams and then you roll back the folded part and stitch it down. So we did that. Mine isn't quite like the pattern because it didn't have enough of the red fabric. So I had to do a few more stars in the muslin and blue. And so that was really neat to learn, but I haven't made another one. That labyrinth is really the only one that I have repeated and not even the whole quilt, just the inside. Mm-hmm. I do follow Pat Sloan on Facebook. She is hilarious. She's always giving out free patterns, all kinds of neat ideas. It's quilt along with Pat Sloan. Yeah. And she gave us a pattern, Oh My Stars. That's what I was and, thinking of. Yeah. And a, like a baby size or wall hanging. And then you could purchase the pattern to get bigger sizes. And so I had done that. So I've done a few of those because it goes together so nicely, easy, and it's so neat. But I'm not real good at repeating things. I always like to try something new. Yeah. My very first sewing machine, my father bought, well, he put it on layaway at a department store called Bradley's. In seventh grade, done sewing in HOMAC like everybody else in public school then. We made a gym bag, an apron, and a nine-patch pillow with a ruffle. So when Grant and I got married, we went over to Bradley's and paid that off and brought home this sewing machine. It was a brother. And that's what I used and used and used. It never went in for a cleaning or a checkup. I didn't even know it was supposed to or where you would take that. When we were in North Carolina, a friend helped me learn how to read a clothing pattern. And so I had made some pants for the boys or little vest and made cummerbund and bow tie for my brother-in-law. And 
quite a few of the first few quilts. And then we moved here. And then we started homeschooling. And while the boys would be working on their schoolwork, I would sew. Well, this sewing machine was so noisy and so clunky, it drove them batty. Well, for Christmas that year, I had this big box under the tree. My husband surprised me. He went up to this group of ladies that he knew sewed at one lady's house and told them he wanted to buy me a nice sewing machine for Christmas. And he wanted their advice on where to go and what to get. Local shop in town had just opened up and she was selling Elmas. And so he bought me this machine. Well, I don't know who was more overjoyed, me or the boys. (laughs) Because, Because now it just hummed along really nice. But that group of ladies that he had gone and gotten their advice, that's who I sew with now. <laughs> so it's kind of neat. So I did take that brother down to a shop to have it looked at. And I guess it just needed a cleaning or this or that. And he had just bought this Elma and I didn't really feel like I could spend the $100 to have it serviced. So we just left it with the shop. And that was the dumbest thing ever because although the machine only cost $100 at Bradley's, it was an older machine and it was all metal and it was a good machine. I just didn't know it. Yeah. I would have been a good machine for my daughter, but it was gone. Didn't matter. I had my Elma. I still sew on her all these years later, but just this few months ago, I did get a brand new baby lock aerial, which has embroidery on it as well. And that was huge. It is huge. (laughs) I'm still in shock. (laughs) It certainly was no $100 brother. (laughs) So how big is the embroidery area on that machine? My biggest hoop is 8 by 12. Wow, that's nice. It is. (laughs) I'm going to try something new later this week. It has a USB port and someone is sending me a picture that has been changed into an embroidery file that I will save onto a thumb drive and plug in my machine and hopefully it'll work and I can embroider it for her. Oh, I don't have the computer program to do that myself. And my machine has, I could put stuff on it that way, but I can't draw it. There is a machine that's double the cost of what I have. That is so new and wild that you can take a picture of something and put it to the screen of the machine and it it will do that for you. But that's a car. (laughs) Cost. Not a sewing machine <laughs> But I just held back from the embroidery because I don't want to get into embroidery. That is a big, huge rabbit hole. I do like to just sew and quilt, but I got this because it has the extra wide throat, 11 and three quarter inch throat space. I do most all my own quilting. Mm-hmm. And I had even been putting those through my little machine, my Elna. But my friend that I quilt with on Thursday, she does have a long arm and has quilted the queens for me. 
but I like to do monogramming. One of my favorite wedding gifts is a set of towels, bath towel, hand towel, washcloth with monogram on it. And so it's an awful expensive machine just to monogram and put names on those aprons and the bags and stuff. You could buy a machine that just a straight machine with the big throat and it's almost the same price. So my husband and I discussed it and I got to splurge and get this fancy machine. I like the embroidery for making the tag on there. Uh, I have not done that yet, but I do intend to get there. (laughs) Do you like each step of the process in quilting or do you like one part better than the others? The only part I don't like is pinning it. Pinning the layers to be able to quilt it. I love doing the piece top picking out a pattern and fabrics and piecing the top. I love to do that. Then I go down to our church and put three tables together and lay it all out and tape the back down and lay the batting on and pin it. And I usually get my husband with his long arms and other people to help me pin it. (laughs) Um, That's my least favorite part is pinning it. And I think that's why sometimes things just don't get quilted. And now that I have my big throat space, I do a lot of free motion quilting. I even did with my Elma, but it's so such little space. Such little space. Mm-hmm. But I made it work for everything but the queens. I enjoy putting the binding on, hand stitching it around the back. And I think the binding is really the most crucial part. You've got to learn how to do a nice corner when you're stitching your binding on. Mm-hmm. I see anything while hanging to king size for sale, you know, and, and the binding is curved and they didn't know how to do that nice fold. And like, oh, it just takes away so much to me. I just like, oh, you got to have that nice crisp binding on. And I enjoy hand stitching the binding on. Yeah. Actually, we just were on a short car ride and I took two table runners and a smaller size I had three pieces I wanted to get the hand stitching of the binding on I worked on that in the car I just can't sit still Hmm. like (laughs) I have to be doing something with my hands (laughs) Wendy why do you think you make quilts rather than spending your time doing something else I really thought on that last night and I just don't know because I catch myself saying so many times, why do you take this perfectly fine fabric and cut it up (laughs) and stitch it back together and spend all this time? But I like sewing over crocheting or cross stitch. I never did learn to knit. I think one of the reasons why I like sewing is it's fast. I might be a slightly impatient person. And when you sew something together, it stays together. When you clean your house, it gets dirty again. And sewing is so fast compared to some of the other things. And I just love fabric. All the pretty prints and the feel of it. I don't know. I just, I couldn't pin it down. I tried. I thought about it. 
And I just don't know. I I think it's the fabric that draws me. Mm -hmm. I like to touch my fabric. I hate buying it online unless it's something I've already seen and touched and I need more of or whatever, you know. I'm so drawn to the fabric. And the fabric designers have come out with such beautiful things. Yeah, that's the bad thing. And I have this one shelf and it's full, but it's just one six foot high, four foot wide shelf full of fabric, which is a lot. I feel like I could start my own store. But yeah, all this new stuff comes out and you want that. You don't want this old stuff. (laughs) So the key for that is to not look. (laughs) So I had actually, it's funny, normally when I'm making a quilt for someone having a baby or getting married and I'm like, okay, what colors do you like, blah, blah. And I've taken to, I thought, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. I need to use what's on my shelves. So if I can pick out a nice color scheme and a cute pattern and get it done and it will be what it is. Yeah. Because I need to use this stuff. I mean, some of it is old and I did learn to cut. I think they're one, they might be one and a half inch strips and crochet them into rag rugs I have a few of those that I have made and I have a bag full of balls wound up and so if I find a fabric that I feel like oh that's just too ugly to use if I don't donate it I cut it into strips and use it to crochet a rug I want to reuse and make new out of old I just love the thought of doing that Mm -hmm. with denim and flannel and just repurposing things but then yet here I have this stash of brand new fabric calling at me you've mentioned making quilts for your children are there others that you make your quilts for oh yeah one of the families at church they had five children their four daughters all got a quilt when they got married a throw size for the couch and their babies all have one and a few others and My mom has a few. My sisters each have a couple. My kids all have multiple. When the group I get together with on Thursdays, we sew. We do a lot of quilts for charity. We have them on hand if someone contacts us wanting something for a fundraiser or an auction or something that we donate. And we have a huge closet at her house full of donated fabrics that we pull from, or sometimes we pull from our own stash. I have these quilts I'm working on for me, but I did just finish up two baby quilts. One was left over for a baby quilt that was gifted, and one was from a jelly roll that someone gifted to me. And I just made them up and they'll be ready. One is pink and the other one is mostly girly. So the next two girl babies that I need a quilt for, I've already got them made. But I rarely ever do that. Like I said, I always want them to, what colors do you like? You know, and I want it fit specifically for them. So if I ever finish with my current list of projects, then I'll take something off the shelf and work up another quilt for another gift another time. (laughs) What a blessing to be able to have something on hand. Yes. I think sewing keeps me out of trouble. 
I mean, I cause enough trouble shopping with it, but (laughs) it keeps me busy, keeps me out of trouble. And what special project are you working on right now? Right now, I am working on that apricot and ash line that I absolutely love. It's peach and gray and white with some green, and it's just beautiful. And so I am working on a throw. I'm trying to decide if I want to border on it. And then I'm going to start working on the queen size quilt for the guest bed that we just set up. Mm-hmm. But then silly me bought another book panel, the little kids fabric books. And we have a grandson who's just a few months old and he does not have his own book yet. So I need to get that whipped up by Friday because we'll be leaving and going to see him. He needs his little book made. <laughs> <laughs> One of the first quilts I made was out of a book panel, and I used the book squares as blocks. Mm. I've seen that done. I think I would like that better than the book. (laughs) (laughs) Share a quilting tip. Don't be afraid to do what you like and deviate from the pattern. Is one good tip. And truly, quilting... Sewing with others is the biggest tip because so many ideas, when you talk about things and work through it, different people have a different take on it and idea, and you might end up liking that better. And they can always help you and encourage you. I worked on a star spin wall hanging. I don't know if you're familiar with that pattern. Mm-mm. Another one I wanted to throw out. <laughs> but because I was working with others, a couple of them were like, no, we're going to press this out. It's going to work. We'll help you. And they get you through that hump. So I think quilting with others makes it so much more enjoyable. That's a great tip. Sometimes Thank it's hard you. to get out of our rut and get out to see other people. <laughs> And it is hard sometimes to think of packing it up and you have all your stuff right here, whatever you could possibly need, but it's definitely worth it to sew with others. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. Yeah, it's been fun talking with you and sharing this. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>